As you can see from the, the, the slide there, and from the bulletin, and if you read the bulletin article, we're going to talk about politics today. Now, we're not going to po- not talk about politics like who should you vote for. We're not going to talk about what does the Christian, who should the Christian support or endorse. What we're going to focus on is where do our hearts need to be during this time. And I'll be honest with you, I'm a bit nervous because you know the old adage. Don't talk about religion or politics. Well, we're doing both today. Right? (laughs) And so, you know, a bit nervous, but what we're going to focus on is how would Jesus navigate this scene? You know what we've been talking about and Kirk's been teaching about? He's the image of God, right? And we are, as disciples... That's what we want to know. That's what it's about for us. What would Jesus do if he were here? If he lived in our town, in our community, in our country at this time, how would he, the one who reflects the perfect image of God, how would he, who is what God intended all of us to be, how would he navigate this scene so that we can imitate him? We can be like like Jesus because it's a hard thing. I don't know if you figured this out. Politics is a very slippery slope. All right? I mean, and, and, and I was reading about this and, and reading up on this lesson, and, and I came up with this. I didn't come up with it. I, I discovered this uh, analogy. It's like political discourse for, for the Christian world is like Christian Vegas. Christian Vegas. It's the environment where our sin is excused. Hatred is winked at. Fear is perpetuated. You know, it's kind of like, hey, you're in Christian Vegas, baby. Go wild, Christian. You have no consequences here. It doesn't apply. What happens in Christian Vegas stays in Christian Vegas. Unless, of course, it doesn't stay in Christian Vegas and it goes public. Right? What? Facebook and Instagram and emails. All of these types of things, what we like, I mean, even just putting the old thumbs up or whatever, says a lot about us, whether we intend to say it or not, people that read it, and sometimes in the name of free speech, or even in our hearts and minds in the name of God, what we do is we alienate people from us. Because politics, I don't know if you've noticed, it's, it, by its very nature, it makes enemies out of the people, the very people that we're supposed to love and influence and win to Christ. It forces them and us mentality. And it divides us. And oftentimes when we write things or we post things or we, I like this thing, on Facebook or emails, forward this email to 10 people or, you know, you'll die or something. What it does is, is people read that and not only do they say, I disagree with this person on this point, they say, you know what, that person's an idiot. I'll never believe anything they have to say again. Because that's what this environment fosters. So what would Jesus do? How would Jesus Handle it. And that's what we're going to be talking about. That's how we're going to deal with a perspective for this pivotal time. And let me make no mistake. 
I don't believe it's a pivotal time for our country. You look back in history, almost every election, not everyone, but almost everyone, everybody goes, this is the most important election ever. I don't believe that. I believe it's a pivotal time for you and me to make decisions on how would Jesus handle this. We have a lot of choices in front of us. How would Jesus do it? I mean, let's look at the time. Let's just look and see. Let's see the times in our Bibles. Get out your Bibles there. Uh, The times Jesus slammed the Roman emperor, okay? It's not there. There's nothing there. Okay, well then let's look at the times Jesus publicly called for political and civil reform. That's, That's not there either. What did he say about politics? Well, he came real close in Mark 12, so let us go there. Mark 12, verses 13 uh, uh, through 17. That is there, yeah. Later they sent some of the Pharisees, they meaning you know them, right? They. Those guys. They sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians uh, to Jesus to catch him in his words. They came to him and they said, teacher, now notice this, this is good, these guys are good. Teacher, we know that you're a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. They're buttering him up. So here it comes. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? Simple question. Jesus knew their hypocrisy. They didn't think he was an awesome teacher. They didn't think he taught the word of God in accordance. But they were trying to trap me. He knew that. He says, why are you trying to trap me? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. So they did. They brought him a coin. He said, whose image is on this? And whose inscription is it? Caesar's, they replied. And then Jesus said to them, well, give back to Caesar what's Caesar's, and then give to God uh, what is God's. And they were amazed. That's the Bible way it said they were blown away. Whoa. Jesus' political stand amazed people. Even his enemies, it amazed them. I mean, what was he really saying here? What was at stake? Paying taxes, the imperial taxes it was called. Supporting Rome and the Roman government. Jesus, as we would expect, perfectly exemplified and maintained his father's perspective. The image of God. And I want us to understand something, because we, you know, we like to think, okay, and, and like what Kurt shared this morning, well, you know, how would Jesus do it if he lived here, right? If he was in my life. Well, how we figure that out? Well, let's look at this. I mean, good interpretive practices are this. Uh, who's talking? That's Jesus. Who's he talking to? These people who were living under Roman rule. And here's the message. What does that mean, Roman rule? These people you're supposed to support and pay your taxes to and be submissive to. The Roman Empire. We think, you know, it was every bit as corrupt as ours. It was so much more corrupt than we even thought about. Cruel tyrants and dictators ruled throughout the region. The institution of slavery was Firmly entrenched. Everything for these people that Jesus was talking to and for Jesus himself 
was the antithesis of democracy. For instance, King Herod, remember what happened when Jesus was born? This just gives us an idea of the political environment. He was freaked out, so he said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to kill every male child two years old and younger. And there ain't thing one you can do about it. You couldn't revolt, you couldn't protest, you couldn't rebel, because if you did, they'd just kill you too. There was no one to appeal to. That was their political environment. That the leader, can you imagine in America, all of a sudden, the government, the president just said, you know what, we're going to kill all the male children. And you can't do anything about it. If you do try to do something about it, you're killed too. All the police, all the army, everybody has permission to just kill you on sight. That's, that's, that's what they were living under, right? Few, few of us have ever experienced the economic and legal oppression that Rome put upon the, the people there, the Jewish people there in Jesus' day. Tax rates were exorbitant, and on top of that, the tax collectors got to skim anything they wanted to because guess what? You can't do thing one about it. If you do, we'll kill you. They were afforded no civil rights whatsoever. And there was no appeal for injustices. And Jesus' ministry, Jesus' life, what we just read in Mark 12, took place right in the middle of all of this. That's where he was. Many of his followers, including the 12, anticipated. You, you can understand why they were thinking this was going to be a revolt. This was going to be a political revolt. He was going to finally overthrow Rome and free us from this oppression. And it would seem that if there was ever a ripe time to do it, that was it. But our Lord did not come for political, to be a political deliverer or a social reformer. He actually never issued a call for such changes, even by peaceful means. Unlike many late 20th century evangelicals, Jesus did not rally supporters to some I don't know, grandiose attempt to capture the culture for God and some political or religious agenda. And we may think, how can this be? How could he live like that? How could Jesus do that? How could he stand by and let these great injustices go unchallenged? And I believe he, because he knew the answer was not in Social reform, reformation, but in heart transformation. And so he tells them, give me the coin. Oh, that's Caesar's? Okay, give to Caesar's what's Caesar's. Give to God what's God's. In other words, okay, you live in this world, fine. Pay your taxes, take care of your business, do what you got to do, but never forget who you are. You, as Kirk has been sharing with us over and over and over, you are the image of God. That's whose image is on you. And you give to God you, your heart, your very self, and that will change the world. Our nation has made great social reforms, has made great strides, a lot of work still to do, yet even today in Bible class, Rose shared, I think it's, I've never seen it this bad in her middle school. And I look and I go, you know what? She, I, I haven't either. 
I haven't seen it. You make all these social changes and try to legislate heart change, and it doesn't work. And Jesus knew that. So that wasn't his focus. He said in John 18, it's up there on the screen. He says, guys, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest. This injustice that his arrest. He was unjustly arrested and unjustly executed. He said, if my kingdom were of this world, they would fight for this. But my kingdom is from another place. Peter encourages us in 1 Peter 1, live out your time, he's talking about your life, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. You're a foreigner. Paul states emphatically in Philippians 3, our citizenship is in heaven. We eagerly await a Savior from there, our Lord Jesus Christ. What does all this mean? Okay, my kingdom is not of this world, it's from somewhere else. Live as a foreigner here. My citizenship is in heaven. Like Kirk's class, we're created in God's image. That's what Jesus was getting at in Mark 12. Whose image is on the coin? Whose image is on you? Now he says, now work, you got that image, now we work and we guard that image for God's purposes, but we understand the kingdom, we're waiting for something else. There's another big kingdom out there. We're here now, we still have to live here now, but we're actually members of another kingdom. And that message surpasses any agenda for political, social, or economic reform. It can preoccupy us. Jesus came to establish a new spiritual order. A body of believers that throughout the ages that constitutes his church. He didn't come to earth to make the old creation moral. But through the power of the gospel and the Holy Spirit, he came to make a new creation and a new creatures. And our Lord has commanded and commended to us this very same ministry. God, above all else, has called his church to bring sinful people to salvation, to change their hearts, to become like Jesus, to be like him. Jesus' priority was his kingdom, God's kingdom, where God is king and we are the subjects. And we should not, we cannot, we must not try to replace God as king. So what does that have to do with politics? Well, let's look at an example. There's a glaring example back in the Old Testament in 1 Samuel 8. What was going on there is, you know, God had brought Israel out of uh, what you call uh, uh, Egypt and all of this slavery and all of this sort. He brought them into the promised land and for several hundred years they had lived in the promised land. Sometimes we lose fact, sight of the fact that they had been there for several, for several hundred years. And they were living in, in, in essence like just a, a confederation of 12 tribes or 12 states. And they were living in different areas around them. And they all pretty much did their own thing. God watched over all of them. And when a problem would come up, God would raise up something. We call him a judge. The Hebrew word could be the same thing, but basically a leader. A guy who makes the big decisions. And that judge would lead them. They had all the 12 would pull together to kind of 
deal with this problem or deal with someone attack or whatever. And then once that was over, everyone kind of went back home and did their thing, and God was the king. But this went on for, for a long time. And at one point, Samuel's all in. He's getting old. He's a prophet. And, you know, you've got to have some kind of organization and government. And so he decides to appoint his two sons as judges. Now, God didn't tell him to appoint them, but he did it. They were horrible. They were horrible leaders. And so all the tribes sent representatives to Sam and said, Hey, this ain't working. The system is broken. We need a change. And we want a king. Find us a king to lead us because we want to be like everybody else. And if you look in 1 Samuel 8, verses 6 and 7... And so when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him. Now listen to what the Lord says. Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. See, instead of looking to God to solve their problems, they sought social and political reform to solve their problems. And God took it personally. He says, no, you're not rejecting Sam or whatever. You're rejecting me. And he explains to them, guys, if you do this, this is what's going to happen. And he lists all these things that the king is going to do to you. And he's right. All of this happened. Basically what it was, it's going to take your focus off of God's agenda and put it on the world's agenda. That's what's going to happen. And in verse 6 and 7, I'm sorry, verse 8, rather, of 1 Samuel chapter 8. He says, God's still talking. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Do you understand? He's saying that to try to accomplish God's will through a civic or a human system is replacing God. And he equates it with idolatry. He, he, he directly equates it with worshiping and serving other gods. And he was not fired up about this. Now let me be clear. I'm not against governments and organizations. I think we've got to have some of it. Okay? There's got to be some organization. Especially in a land and in a people who don't even think about God as king. There's got to be something, okay? I'm not against politics even. Because, Paul, that word means is how things are organized and run. All I'm trying to say is we, as citizens of God's kingdom, have to keep it where it belongs, in our hearts and in our minds. It will not fix our moral problems. It will not fix our problems of hatred, disunity, discrimination, poverty, anger. God's already given us the answer to those problems. We just need to obey God and get everybody else to obey God. And I'm talking about truly being disciples of Jesus, not these faux disciples who maybe go to church, sing, hoopie doo la di da but they still got the hatred. They go back tomorrow and they've got the hatred, they've got the anger, they've got the rebellion. I'm not talking about I'm talking about saying, let's image what God is, what Jesus is. To really be disciples. Do you ever stop to think what would happen 
if we put as much time, effort, energy, and money into spreading the gospel and the message of God as we do putting into spreading a political campaign. And I'm not talking about just the Democratic Party and the Republican Party. I'm talking about all the media and everything else that spends billions of dollars on spreading the message too. Okay, back to Jesus. How would he handle it? Okay. <laughs> he would do a miracle and take over the television. No, I don't know. Because <laughs> we can't do magic, Jesus, right, Kirk? Because that's what he said. We, we don't. What does our master and his example teach us? Well, I'll say it again. Back in Mark 12, that passage we looked at, where Jesus actually kind of did address the political issue, paying taxes. What we see, the principle here is, guys, the answer is not going to be political reformation, but heart transformation. You live here, okay, you got to pay your taxes, pay your taxes. Do it. Take care of your business. But don't let it overtake you and don't be mistaken. You are made in the image of God. You're his and offer him your very self. So much to say about this. So many passages. Okay, we're going off script here, okay? But you go to Romans 12. This one will blow your ever-living head. This one is so hard. But if we remember, our goal is not, I want to be a better person. I want to be, no, I want to be like Jesus. Now, remember what I said about Rome and what kind of society that was. What kind of government that was. They would have loved to have our current conditions. That would have been such an improvement. So this is Paul writing to people who live actually in Rome, the headquarters of this giant, ungodly machine. This is Paul who will eventually be executed by that machine simply because he believes in Jesus. This is what he says in verse 1, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. That was 13.1 of Romans. 13.1. Well, it says 12 on the top of my sheet, but 13 is what it is. Let's read it again, because it was so challenging, I had to stop anyway. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. What does he mean? Well, he means, next sentence, the authorities that exist have been established by God. Okay. How can that be? Well, look, guys, you look in the history. God has used un- righteous, ungodly authorities throughout history to accomplish his will. Why should we be shocked if he does it again? This is a guy talking in one of the most incredible ungodly. They're going to kill the guy who said this. The guy who said be subject to him, respect him, obey him, God establish him, they're going to kill him because he believes this. Consequently, verse 2, Whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those do so will bring judgment upon themselves. Holy smoke. 
Listen, guys, I don't know where you stand on politics. That's, don't care. Truth is, is I think God's in control. That's what I get from this. I think God is in control. Pick your candidate. Amen. Campaign for them. Amen. Go out and vote or don't. That's fine. We all have different ideas. We all have different opinions. We all have a different perspective on what should or should not happen. Ultimately, though, we got to remember I'm a part of God's kingdom. He's God. I'm the subject. And he's in charge even of our political process. How could he? I don't know. <laughs> I don't understand the mind of God sometimes. And he doesn't always feel compelled to explain himself to me. All I know is, right now, it's a pet peeve of mine, okay? I'm just, I've got a little time, not much. It's a pet peeve of mine. I don't say Obama. I say President Obama. He is my president. He is my commander-in-chief. Doesn't matter if I voted for him or not. Doesn't matter if I agree with him or not. He's the man. This next go-round is either going to be President Trump or President Clinton. I don't know which one it's going to be, but either one it's going to be, Romans 13 still says what Romans 13 says. And the reality of life is I'm a citizen of heaven anyway. I'm going to pay my taxes, I'm going to take care of my business, and I'm going to keep reflecting God's image. And that's where we need to be as Christians. We cannot let this type of stuff come between us. Us and each other. Us and God, or us and our mission for God, which is His Word. So I'll leave you with this. Mark 12. Jesus is talking about it. This political season, in the next three and a half weeks, I want to encourage you, be amazing. Be like Jesus. Give back to Caesar what Caesar's. And give to God what is God, and they will be amazed. Amen.